The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I've had the distinct pleasure and joy of people I know say to me, I want to be saved and become a Christian. What do I do? If my response had simply been, great, okay, Pray this sinner's prayer, and you're saved. And that was the end of the conversation. If that was it, if that was my only response, I would not be blessing that person. I would be cursing them. It would not be a blessing, but a curse. It would be a curse to live forever eternally, but never ever to grow God's way. Never to know the heights of love. Never to enjoy the depths of God's peace. Familiar words from a wonderful hymn that we sing here often at Nielsville. Never to enjoy the wonder of God's grace in transforming us into the new creations He promises to make us more like His Son. The born-again life God offers is not simply about extending your life as it is right now, frozen from here into eternity. The born-again life is about a new life and a new way of life, lived in the Spirit, following Jesus Christ, submitting to Him, and together applying that understanding of of newness uh, and that distinction as a people to every aspect of our lives according to Scripture. We're beginning to rehearse and prepare for eternity. Not frozen in time. The spring has sprung for believers in Jesus Christ, and we're meant to grow. And so our series right now is titled, Growing God's Way, a Guide to Spiritual Growth. And in Growing God's Way, we're considering six ways that we grow. Service, prayer. Last Sunday, we talked about studying the Bible. This morning, how to worship and stewardship. And then on Youth Sunday, that a theme of living on mission. This covers all the life of the Christian disciple. Everything about you and me is meant to find its center, its purpose in Jesus Christ, in his life, death, 
and resurrection. So life is no longer about me. It's no longer about how I'm doing. Life is all about resting and rejoicing in what Christ has done for me. The person and work of Jesus Christ is now at the center. So we say the only hope that we have, the only comfort in life and death, those words would ring familiar for us, familiar with the catechism. The only hope in life and death is that I belong body and soul to my Lord. And the message that we repeat again and again here at Nielsville is that Christ died, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to his Father and make us new and grow us into a distinct new kind of people so that then we can spend the rest of eternity knowing, loving, worshiping, and growing God. The Samaritan woman at the well, she wanted to change the subject. She wanted to talk about where are we supposed to worship. She wanted to get Jesus off of focusing so much on her and get to a side issue. But Jesus won't let her eyes lose his gaze. Jesus instead wants to talk about how to worship. Now, I've mentioned before, I've preached on this incredible account, but I trust that many of us studied John chapter 4 during the week. We had that as a little assignment. Did anyone study John 4? I flossed every day. Did anyone study? Okay, well, no hands, but okay, well, I'll keep flossing. You keep studying. But instead of going into all of this encounter, I, I want us to really focus in on what the Lord teaches us here about how to worship in spirit and in truth. We recall how uncomfortable Jesus made her by knowing so much about her. She attempts to divert his attention from her personal life to matters of religion. She brings up a commonly known division between Jews and Samaritans. The, the Jews worship in, at Jerusalem while the Samaritans worship uh, here at the Mount uh, Gersom in Shechem, modern-day Annapolis. Uh, overlooking Jacob's Well, that's where I was. As I told the kids, you could see the mountain. But Jesus won't be distracted from his goal and his important insight into worship. Look at verse 23. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such to worship him. So Jesus plainly says that the Samaritan worship, uh, they're worshiping what they do not know. Why? What, what's happening? Well, the, the Samaritans had developed a religion of syncretism. They were mixing pagan elements together with elements of Jewish worship. And they were intermarrying with non-Jews, which at the time was forbidden. So when Jesus says, you worship what you do not know, he's saying the Samaritans don't know what they are doing in worship. So the, the key word here about worship has something to do with knowing. Knowing what we're doing 
and for whom we are doing it. The insight about worship, worshiping the Lord in spirit and truth, is that worship is no longer confined to a single geographical location or necessarily regulated by the temporary provisions of the Old Testament law. These are foreshadowings of what's to come. And Jesus says to her, that day that's yet to come has now come. The Christ is coming, and I am he. And now the separation between Jew and Gentile will no longer be relevant, not because they're going to mix religions, but because they will come together in a pure relational knowing of God personally through me. Because of Christ, all God's children gain equal access to God through him. Rather than a physical temple, Jesus' disciples will will explain and and teach the church that every born-again person is now a temple of the Holy Spirit. You don't need to fly 8,000 miles away to worship God. And worship now is now fully and completely a matter of the heart, the spirit, the, the whole self as God intended. Not external actions, not physical structures or feast days or burnt offerings. And it will be directed by truth, by the divine revelation of God in Christ. Not ceremonies, not going through the motions. We will worship God fully, completely in the spirit and fully and completely in truth because now we have God in the flesh. To worship God in spirit and truth. Jesus wants us to see that all of life, every aspect of it, is a good gift from God that ought to prompt worship. Jesus wants us to find our hearts crying out, God is good in the middle of everyday life. He wants us to eat, play, create, work, celebrate, rest, and relate to one another all for his Father's glory. And on top of all of that, all these insights that are piling up, Jesus says something amazing here about the character of God. He says God is actually seeking worshipers. Now normally we think of of people seeking God. We even have a whole movement in the life of the church about a decade ago, the, or maybe two decades ago, the, the seeker-sensitive movement, people seeking God. But here it says, Jesus says, my Father is seeking true worshipers by these two criteria, spirit and truth. So again, to worship God in spirit and truth means loving him with our, our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. God is seeking people who would worship him correctly. To honor him as God. Which means to put aside forms of false worship. To set aside idols, things that become substitutes for God. And to look squarely and passionately at Christ. Have him at the center, and then to worship God. That's what God is seeking. The more we know about God, 
the more we love him if we have the spirit within us. And the more we love, the deeper our worship. And the deeper our worship, the more God is glorified. And there's now no limitation. We can worship God everywhere and anywhere. But we have to have the posture of worship fully, body and soul. I'll be the first to admit, we can be here to worship physically, but our soul somewhere else. Our hearts, our attentions are somewhere else. Has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me. So I'm thankful we have that time of prayer and confession. Lord, help me to redirect. He's saying he wants all of us, all of you, to be fully present and to be honest, to be your full self, to come forward before the living God. That's what happens to this woman. She is transformed in this encounter with the bridegroom, with Christ. It's a knowing because he knows her and loves her even still, her life is transformed. And what happens? She becomes a powerful, incredibly effective witness for Christ, going out and telling everyone, what does she say? I found a great new pastor. I found a great church. No, she says, I met a man who knows everything about me. He must be the Messiah. And so they come. So how do we worship? Point number one, we worship with reverence. With reverence. Think about the preparations that go into a typical Sunday morning at church. Here at Nielsville, the preparations that go on that, that Greg and Michelle put through, uh, that, that the praise team do on Thursday nights, Think of all the preparation that went into setting the table for communion. Our deacons going and and gathering the elements, preparing them before service, laying everything out for us. It must have taken hours. All of this preparation calls to mind Exodus chapter 19. You know, this summer we're looking at the Ten Commandments. Well, Exodus 19, we read that God commanded Moses to present himself and all the people consecrated for worship. And what did that consecration entail? Three days of preparation. Three days of preparing, of washing and preparing, washing their their bodies and washing their clothes. Can you imagine if you had three days to prepare? I'm I'm sure some would say, that's that's wonderful. I I need three days. Uh, Some of us take three minutes right before church and hop in the car and drive over. All of this was a matter of preparing the people to reverently come before God. And then, of course, it was only Moses who could venture up the mountain. How do we prepare? How do we worship God reverently? Well, let me put it this way. I think it starts on Saturday. It starts with the preparations for Sabbath day. What are the chores you have that you can do on Saturday instead of Sunday? What are the 
phone calls or emails you need to return on a Saturday so you can turn your phone to vibrate or even off on Sunday to set this time aside, reverently obeying God's commandment to make this day wholly set apart for him. You see, worship is primarily how we glorify God and how we grow. Before Jesus ascended, he gave a mission to make disciples of all nations. And we cannot make disciples at a once-a-week event. Discipleship is a life-on-life activity that involves all the members of the body of Christ. And so we have Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, where Paul writes, of, of, in view of God's mercy, to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. He says this is our spiritual act of worship. And what's the very next thing he says? In verse 2, he says, Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Do you see how worship and discipleship are connected? Do you see how it's more than just gathering here on a Sunday, but it's every day of the week? And so that's point number two, that worship and discipleship growing as Christians are interconnected. We tend to think discipleship is a class you attend or a small group once a week or maybe a new members class like the one that's starting here today. But when you look at the life of Jesus and his disciples, you realize discipleship for him was a all-of-life sort of thing. They ate together, they played together, they walked together, they sang together, they knew each other. Here's where worship and discipleship intersect. They're both about increasingly submitting all of life to the empowering presence and lordship of Jesus Christ. If you worship all the time, then in any circumstance, you will be doing that. That's why we see when when the apostles were arrested, what were they doing in the prison cell? What was Peter doing? He was worshiping. Because that's what he always was doing. So worship and discipleship, growing as Christians, is an everyday thing. They're interconnected. Number three, at the heart of worship is a love story. This story of a woman at a well in the sweltering heat, the midday sun, all alone, the loneliest time of the day, teaches us that God finds us and loves us in spite of our bankrupt lives. That God values us enough to actively seek us, to welcome us to intimacy, and to enjoy our worship. As a result of Jesus' conversation, only a person like this Samaritan woman, an outcast from her own people, could truly understand what was happening. She was being pursued. She was being loved. Her story was becoming a part of God's grand story. To be wanted, to be cared for, to be known, to be loved. This is what we do together. We rehearse, we remind ourselves of the stories. Worship is real, authentic experience 
in the heart of God, or it's nothing. It's nothing. This is what it means when we read things like 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And yet for how many of us here can Jesus' words in Matthew 15.8 ring embarrassingly true? This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Do you honor God with your lips? You could sing with perfect pitch. Your heart could be far away. He says, my father is seeking true worshipers. He's going to grab hold of you to draw you in. We were created to worship God, and we were created to worship God together. That's my fourth and final point to worship God together. Here's a great quote. As nice as it can be to tuck ourselves away in some nook and cranny, all by our lonesome, and read scriptures we want to read, pray the prayers we prefer, play the songs we like, memorize the verses we pick, and fast from food when it's convenient, as important as it is to pursue a regular rhythm of private worship, in these personal disciplines, this is not the pinnacle of Christian living. We were made to worship Jesus together among the multitude. God did not fashion us to enjoy him finally as a solitary individual, but as happy members of a countlessly large family. And so let's Commit to worshiping together. When the fog of everyday life clears and we catch a glimpse of of what heaven might be, it's not going to be you sitting alone with your individual food tray sitting at your little cubby. It will be a feast where we will all be gathered together from every tongue and tribe and nation. So let us not neglect to meet together, as Hebrews teaches us, as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another as all the more we see the day drawing near. Multicultural, multi ethnic, multi generational. This is the church, and this is what heaven will look like. And so don't neglect worshiping together regularly. Oh, but Pete, spring is so beautiful. I, I know. But it's set aside this day. But I've got travel plans. I know. I know. Thank God that you have the ability and the resources to take vacation. But don't neglect worshiping together. Let's worship on this day together because we want to learn how to love people that are different from us. We want to go to church to worship God and to love the people around us who are different from us. Let's not be strangers on Sunday mornings or Monday through Saturday. Let's know one another 
and care for one another in Christian community. And then we will grow and we will worship. The woman said in verse 25, I know the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said the most incredible response. I who speak to you am he. And he's saying to you right now where you are sitting, I am the living water you were made to drink. I know everything about you. And I love you. And I want you to come and know me and know my Father intimately this day and every day. I want you to know that I died for you. I want you to come and be with me. You ask about the Messiah. I who speak to you am he. Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is the Lord's invitation. His invitation to the table. Let's pray. My God, help us to be mindful of what you'd have us to know this, this hour and to apply it in our lives, Lord, to grow in the ways that we worship you. To worship with reverence, Lord, to set aside this day as holy set for you. To understand that worship and discipleship are connected seven days a week. To be reminded that at the heart of worship is a love story that you are pursuing us. And Lord, that we would worship together regularly. Your word tells us if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that you raised us, raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Oh God, that is true and that is life transforming. But Lord, may the work continue to change us, to grow us God's way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.